Congratulations. Drop Goodwood. We knew you could do it. exact moment I hit record, like uh, my uh, downstairs apartment neighbor um, made like a squealing sound. I don't know if you could pick it up or not. Squealing like how? Squealing like rubber tires or squealing like, I'm so excited. It's the Q&A postmortem for Dice Fog Season 2. They're, they're totally the biggest fans. They're such big fans. They decided to move next to Leon so they could listen to him <laughs> in real time. And just bask in his aura. You, you would think if they were fans, they would just shut the fuck up whenever I need to record Renegade Cut. Um, like today, I'm like, start recording. And they just decide to have an argument uh, downstairs at one in the afternoon on a Tuesday. God, get a job, Leon. I mean, no, wait. Wait. The, the other ones. <laughs> So last time we recorded one of these post-mortem Q&As, it took, I think, two and a half hours. So let's jump right into the questions. I'm just so just so you know, I'm, I'm actually unprepared to go over the limit tonight because it is the Q&A. So I'm, I'm not like right in the middle of a question. I'm not going to be like, and that's when I decided to. Bye. I'm going to do my best. I'm going to try to run through these. Almost certainly anything we want to talk about is asked because we have roughly 10 million questions. So, Ooh. OK, well, we'll leave it to you then. Nice, nice. Yeah. Where do we start? I have a bunch of questions from Twitter and a bunch from the forums. So I'm going to start on Twitter because that's what my tab is open. And I'm going to ask them and we're just going to go. Let's just see where this one goes. Do you hear that forum, folk? You're second best. <laughs> oh, no. Oh. Don't oh. antagonize them. They're wonderful. I know they're wonderful. I tell them they're wonderful every time we speak. Shout out to Kirsten Haslinger, Forum Mom. We got Jade. We got Cosmignon, the Ink Master General. We got everybody over there. It's just constantly doing cool stuff. Fantastic stuff, yes. Yeah, makes this show infinitely more enjoyable to produce. First question from Eileen, also just a wonderful artist who's done a number of title cards for the show. Mm -hmm. Her question is, what is everyone's favorite NPC? Swift Justice. (laughs) That was quick. (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah i love i loved swift justice um mm-hmm. we we only got so much uh because um it got on to us and <laughs> at that point it was time to fight because that's what i know how to do um because you predicated your relationship on a lie before you knew it was homicidal yeah it was a great lie and it worked for a while uh we're all i feel like we're all glad that i lied it worked until it didn't Right, yeah, it was it was good and it was fun, and I like Swift Justice. Uh, I wish we got more, but um, maybe it's best to like burn out bright instead of like overstaying your welcome. So, so, so basically, he he lived long enough to both die hero and be the villain at the same time. Uh, sure, we'll go with that. Why not? Okay, I I really I'm really partial to Hunter, mm-hmm. and I'm also very very partial to Eyeball Jenkins. <laughs> 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 yes, yes. yes. <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, yeah. I don't know why, except because they're adorable. In terms of favorite NPCs, I'm trying to think of 
Should I go with ones I just liked to interact with or just ones I liked in principle? No one can stop you. You can say anything you want on the show. I, I I just like the the turn that you made when you decided to make Sildiel an actual NPC in the game. It's like, now what's going to happen with all this? It was it was interesting to have the the mom character in there. Um, I was surprised by how much I enjoyed interacting with Isaac, as was hinted by the fact that mm-hmm. Elias is friends with Isaac in all known universes mm-hmm. somehow. Great. Yep, infinite universe theory. I I want I kind of want to say either Tusk, <laughs> mm-hmm. just because of like that that whole outsider. Like when he interacts with the party, it's all flavors and you know kind of like. Uh, that character from Labyrinth that, that like is big fuzz muffin uh-huh. um, and actually Zavala. Yeah. Who I'm sure we'll talk about mm-hmm. that got away from me in a big, big way. <laughs> you handled it. Well, of course we have to have a uh, Amber in there as one of the favorites just because, you know, that accent, that accent, <laughs> that accent, that, that, that Twitter avatar. That's definitely my answer, as, yep, that is my Twitter avatar as well. Um, I'm kind of, um, and this is totally selfish and not at all based on the themes or story we told, but it's, uh, I kind of wish she had survived. I very much liked her and wanted to see what her life was like after the campaign. But mm-hmm. considering even before the time that the show is set in started, she had consigned herself to killing her friends and dying. Uh, it would have made of no sense <laughs> for her not to accept the way things turned out. And I'm sure we'll get to that. Yeah, that's... That's a hard way out. I'd also uh, like to pour one out for the Jeff who died. Uh, <laughs> just be, just because it gave us a great funeral scene. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. That I mean, that that's like Jeff's legacy. But no, no, I, I, I thought we had a, a plethora of wonderful NPCs. Yeah. I'm glad you guys like them. They are very silly. Some of them. Only some of them were silly. I mean, Jem was a pretty serious character, and Shayathane too, and, mm-hmm. you know, Sheriff K, despite his, like, you know, monk-throwing tendencies, was always had, like, the best at heart. <clears throat> you 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 had a good balance, is, is what I'm trying to say. You know, you had, like, you had NPCs that were, like, um, uh, complimentary and, and social, and some some grim and dark, and other ones that were just, like funny i feel like at my funeral johnny's gonna be eulogizing me like he once had a character throw me off a ship <laughs> like he just will not let it go until the end of time mm. yeah no as of as of after after this mm-hmm. after this q a session mm-hmm. letting it go okay it's gone that's it <laughs> in the new timeline is captain coin alive yes damn you guys never actually got to see, and we have a question about the fate of uh, those beached uh, figures on Men Metal Arc, so we'll get there. All right. That's definitely something I want to talk about. Uh, the next question comes from K Dobbs, who asks, what would the teddy bear icon have done if it was removed from the temple? Oh, yeah, tell us. <laughs> okay, so the magic items in the Temple of Primus were kind of like the secret cache of like upgrades for you guys, and they were essentially free. If you were selfless about asking for them, which dropped it and he got one, basically no muss, no fuss. Uh, unfortunately, because of the way things turned out, a co- uh, no one else ended up going there except for Lavinia and her heist scene. So you guys really didn't get to find out what a lot of them did, which is both kind of sad, but also kind of cool because it means I can totally cut and paste them somewhere else up the up the pipeline for later use. The teddy bear was, of course, Anne's spellcasting focus from season one. 
and mm. uh, it would have given you some kind of bonus to spellcasting. Obviously, you've seen my DM notes. You know, I don't actually know mm-hmm. the exact math behind it. But also, uh, since it was a, infused with Avandra, the god of luck and change, there would, at some point it would have intervened maybe to overwrite a botch or something because she's the god of luck. So it's it would have been like a plus one to spellcasting attack modifiers and spell saves and also like some other cool wacky effect that would have kicked in sometimes. Uh, so it was benign? Yeah, I, I, I got the impression that like it was somehow touched by Gorfanax in some way. Yeah, that, I mean, that's definitely, I wanted to leave that open. Yeah. I guess maybe I shouldn't have just answered that question so clearly. <laughs> but I, I wasn't, it wasn't a trap uh, is kind of what the thing is. All, all of them were basically, some of them were complicated. Like I think there was a helmet of Groomsh, mm-hmm. which would have um, been like really a good boost to your AC, but would have given you a uh, disadvantage on charisma checks because you would have like radiated an intimidating aura. Which can sometimes be charismatic though, when you're intimidate. It would have been advantage to intimidation disadvantage on persuasion and deception right right but also like a plus two ac so the 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 short answer is i don't have any of the math <laughs> i would have made it up on the spot mm-hmm. long answer is they all did kind of what you thought they would do like the arrow would have done cool arrow shit um the conch would have allowed um some communication with sea life i think like you could have blown it to like ward off mother you wouldn't have gotten like control over her but it would have stopped any of her attacks like the two or three times you guys were faced with her man your DM style makes me itchy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I respect what you do with it, Austin. Uh-huh. That was like, you know, that was no mean feat. That was probably one of the the better campaigns I've ever played in D&D, to be honest with you. But, oh, man. Never never look how the sausage is made, man. <laughs> yeah, I try to give you guys as much freedom as I could conceivably do. Um, I think that's one of the things that makes our podcast special. Like, I've listened to some other D&D podcasts, and they're fun, but I never get the sense that their characters are actually in danger. Mm-hmm. And I always get the feeling that it's like the DM's like, here's what we're going to do next. And everyone just has to. And I don't want to be that kind of show. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with it, but it's just not what we're doing here. No. Are you trying to say that you don't think I put you guys in danger? Oh, oh, we were. <laughs> that is not disputable. Uh, season one, they were at danger from in every direction. Yeah, I just, I'm just making sure here because, you know. I also brought the danger. <laughs> there, there's a reason why I casted sleep so many times on you, more so than any other group of individuals in the entire campaign. And yes, in fact, I think, keep track, it's like, there's a number of times I cast it sleep on Violet versus everyone else, and Violet wins. Yeah, I think you did it like twice on on non parties, and Violet was like four. <laughs> he did it once on Tusk, and it worked, and once on Fox, and it didn't, and then the rest were Violet. Yeah. Um. So next question, Jacob Long says, "What would have been the best order to go to the islands?" Ooh, best. Yeah, so you guys have seen my outline, I assume. The basic structure of the plot was that there was like the prologue where you all meet, and then there was four islands you could explore in any order, and then there was the end game. Um, the kind of the idea of the end game, as you've seen, I have it written on my sheet as fish party. <laughs> what? So I can tell who hasn't seen the sheet. <laughs> no. <laughs> 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 Did we... 
the idea was uh, you guys explore the four islands and over that because the kind the conflict was essentially black hearts versus glitter gold you know the chaotic evil with good intentions or the lawful good with uh, you know negligence basically that the, the, right. there's collateral damage but it's not malicious and that you guys would mm. go through the four islands going through these kind of self-contained adventures but while, along the way you would learn about the bigger conflict and then you, at the end you would probably pick a side and like if you were with the glitter gold the black hearts would be the villain and if you were the, with the black hearts the glitter gold would have been the villain the kind of quote unquote like secret of the campaign was that the kuatoa were behind it and that if you picked up enough clues along the way you would figure that out and want to go explore them and then have a fish party. Exactly. Oh, man, we should have done that. Well, that ended up not being necessary because Lavinia got kidnapped and got a little taste of fish party. Not the whole thing, but uh, you ended up through a series of events, which included robbing the Temple of Primus to getting the spell scroll, talking to Alona to get Detect Thoughts, using Detect Thoughts on Hunter while asking the right questions. You ended up getting all the information mm-hmm. that you would have got from Fish Party. So you guys... I, I ruined the Fish Party. Yeah, you, you essentially mm-hmm. circumvented the mechanics of it while still getting all the info, which I think is really interesting. And it also shows the flexibility of the structure mm-hmm. because I could have said like an NPC would be like, I think we should go check out this place. But you guys got there on your own, which I think is super cool. And also, it turned out that the conflict we ended up having was not <laughs> the one I thought we were going to. Because in episode 8, I accidentally did a used car salesman voice and we ended up with a new villain. I, I was going to say, like, we say Fish Party, that gives me such a uh, vibe of the game Monster Party. Which has a totally happy ending in which nothing bad happens. Oh wait, no, not really. Mm, and there's the boss, you walk in and he's already dead and he says... Yeah, I'm sorry. Sorry, I'm, I'm already dead. Yes. Yeah, sorry, I'm dead. Classic video game references. So the question was, what was the best order to go to the islands? And the answer is, there is no best. And that kind of sounds like a cop out, but it was designed in such a way is that no matter where you go first, it's the least dangerous, the least extreme. You guys have mostly character to character interactions while the background stuff kind of plays out on its own, which is why I think the Ragged Woods was the least popular arc in the poll I ran on Twitter, which is by design. That was mostly about you guys interacting um with the, while the stakes were kind of low and then as you went through they get more dangerous and you learn more things so it's like if you guys had gone to the cascades first the books wouldn't have all been there just waiting for you to find out the whole plot right yeah like until something's shown on screen it doesn't exist if we'd gone to mykonos first you know we wouldn't be these super wanted criminals and the police force would still be active, mm-hmm. and like you know, the the city government would still be mm-hmm. functioning properly, and we'd be wandering around looking at tourist maps, going, right, okay, if we're here, yeah, it was supposed to be a, a gentle ramping up of the difficulty and stakes, no matter what you did, and also a drip feed of like lore and setting stuff, no matter where you went, uh, so that eventually you would learn more and more, and then you'd know everything. Uh, and I think it worked out per- like miraculously well um, at the risk of like sounding arrogant. Like it went off like perfect. I don't know if I could, I would change anything, but if you look at the outline, you'll see that there's like one thing about the black heart route and the glitter gold route. And when you guys stole that ship and people witnessed you and you left them alive, you essentially cut yourself off from the glitter gold route. At that point, they were not going to work with you anymore. At the same time, it's like, Killing them was not a good option either, so... I agree. It would have been really, like, messed up for your characters and, like, contradicted a lot of, like, I think the direction you wanted to take them in. 
some of the characters. <laughs> some of them. But the idea was basically that you could have told you could have told Joan to go fuck herself. Like there was no Sometimes I worry that when I offer you guys like a choice, you feel like it's not really a choice. Like I'm trying to push you in a certain direction. And I, that's something I'm trying to work on to be better about is making sure every choice feels like real and viable. Um, so if you guys would have said like, no, you're shady, <laughs> we, we don't, we're not going to steal something for you and then explored Meadowlark. Eventually you would have ended up in a situation where you would have been recruited by Glitter Gold and they would have sent you to the four islands to do other stuff like hey can you we've uh some, we sent some people to the ragged woods and they haven't come back can you go check on them like oh uh you know mykonos is kind of falling apart and we have some people on the inside of the council and they're like they said some people are getting killed can you go check that out you're like oh the the drow and the bullywugs are at each other's throat and we can't like do any trade over there can you go check that out or like you know the orcs are demanding money but we don't need them anymore can you go like tell them to fuck off like there's there would have been no matter what you've done reasons to go to those places mm -hmm. and so the basic structure would have stayed the same mm -hmm. but the point where you guys basically made the decision is when you decided to steal the ship the other one was when you guys decided to go over the side of the ship with ziggy because <laughs> once you guys left there you guys didn't go where the ship was going and there was like you guys could have been taken to where the, like the gnomes were and then had to like break out like there's a bunch of other stuff that could have happened Oh, sure, sure. I mean, it was just one of those things where, like, the direction that we were going in was established pretty quickly in the first few episodes. Mm -hmm. It's it's my general opinion that at no point in time should uh, a dungeon master ever be like, and now you're dead, unless the character is trying to attempt something. <laughs> like, like if, if the character is trying to escape from captivity, combat something, you know, break into a mansion, da 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 it's like, it's it, like a good D&D campaign for me, and this is something that, I again, Austin, I, I really respect you for, is that your your campaign was a lot about consequences, and and not necessarily about pathing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I like that, because it, the players get to make their own choices, and then they have to deal with what happens afterwards. Like, even to the to, to points of mortality in the campaign that, yeah, didn't last, but, like, <clears throat> Violet had to uh, deal with becoming a human, you know? The rest of the party had to give up magical items to resurrect Elias. Drop got uh, a little ambitious with the orcs, and <laughs> everybody got imprisoned. You know, like it wasn't just it. It, it wasn't like quick defend yourselves. <laughs> you know, it, it's yeah. And I think that shows in the audience reaction too, because in the favorite arc poll, far and away the winner was the Tiger Mountains, and that was the one where you guys arguably failed the worst. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. yeah. And the the least popular, the Ragged Woods, is where the one where you guys succeeded essentially on unscathed and some of that was because that was an easier mission but it was also because you guys were very very good at playing D D there mm -hmm. like elias did the a check and he found those flowers and then you guys did a survival check to follow them and then he teleported up into the trees to scout and then Vinny talked to a tree like you guys were doing like you know mlg pro stuff and you did so well that there wasn't a lot of friction where in the tiger mountains uh which i would argue is the only mission quote-unquote mission you failed you guys bollocks it like the worst you could possibly do and we were so close we made a lot of bad slash fun decisions but it's everyone's favorite because it went so wrong in the one it you, was fun it was very good it was amazing when we turned off the recording that one night after you guys escaped from the the like the massacre like we were all like yeah. vibrating at like a higher frequency <laughs> it was phenomenal mm -hmm, mm -hmm. consequences are always more interesting than just being good at the game 
Yeah. What? Oh, I don't know if I agree with that. <laughs> That's a very sketchy answer. <laughs> I just want to be good, man. Yeah, I know. And you you obviously were. I definitely want to be bad. I, I thought that was the motto, get good, right? Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm just reading these in order. So some of these are just coming to me, and I'm sorry if that's like annoying to hear my voice so much. But Syreth asks, Austin, how did you come up with the idea of Billy? That one actually has a super concrete answer, which is I didn't. <laughs> Drop was a hermit monk, which means mechanically he gets a secret when he starts the campaign. That's how the game is designed. And I said, Johnny, you get a secret. Do you want it to be about the world, the setting? He said, character. I said, okay, do you got any of you guys know each other? And like, no, Drop doesn't know any of the player characters. So it's like, how would a character who doesn't know any of the other people have a secret about them? So then I basically made up a figure who would give him information. And the secret was, you know, Lavinia is not who she thinks she is. Like that was, that was literally just the rules of D and D making me give drop a secret mm. and then that when that character came out of my mouth <laughs> i it was just like undeniable like oh this is the guy like i think everyone felt it like this is like a weird cool thing and like let's just see where it goes mm. so i had no idea that it was going to be the thing that it turned out to be oh and i just kind of rolled with it like the original plot was it like about the black hearts versus the glitter gold and that's just not what the show ended up being so yep this is a this is a personal point of pride for me, <laughs> and I'd I'd just like to say to listeners, if you give your DM great character histories, they will play off them. So write people, you know, collaborate, make stuff. It's so much fun. Yep. As a DM, getting other people's histories and going like, ah, yes. Yep. My whole point earlier about Sildiel should speak to that <laughs> entirely because that was all purely based on two things. My backstory that I wrote multiple pages of and then saying to Austin, hey, by the way, if this thing allows me to separate step of the Feywild, can I just send letters home during the campaign? Mm-hmm. I'm pre- and then, oh, look, how many episodes later Sildiel shows up? I mean, Sketch bent the rules in some of the most interesting ways. Like, Tenzer's floating disc does not work the way we did it. Nope. <laughs> but it was just it was just cooler to do it that way. And there was, like, the it time... It was. It was the time he said, um, is there a tree in the area? And I was like, there is if you want. And he's like, well, I set it on fire to make a beacon. Or, uh, is there a bottleneck that I can put these bodies in front of to stop the mob? There is now. Like, that. that's my favorite thing, is when we all just start building this world together, kind of just collaborating yeah. on a cool fiction thing. I didn't realize I could do that. <laughs> I could have, I could have, uh, Bill and Ted time travel uh, ruled it and and found my way out of it. Uh, some bad circumstances. I mean, you, I would think that Sketch doing it like every episode would have given you a hint, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and then I find a key. No, uh, that, no, <laughs> no that, that's not quite how it works. And then I and then I find a hole that leads me straight to the end boss. Can I go in it? <laughs> okay. Uh, so next question, I'm going to try to pick up the pace. Syretha, again, asks, what killed all those people that were on the beach when the party returned uh, to, to Metal Ark Island? So those were Kuatoa and Gnomes. They had a battle um, on Metal Ark. So you guys destroyed one of the ships that was chasing you, and you cut the sails down and the other one and left it. So what happened when you left was that those Gnomes I, like took off their shirts and like rigged a like a bad sail to try to sail home and report and uh Ooh, they crashed these sailors <laughs> no shirts i like the sound of this how come we didn't get this in like a cutaway uh because well i tried to give it to you and you guys didn't uh really take that bait 
So what happened was the that ship crashed into the the forest because of the change in the the water line, and then uh, Kuotoa were chasing them because there was like a lot of blood on their ship because of your guys' fight. And so they had like a battle on the beach with the Kuotoa, and a lot of people on both sides were killed, and the remaining gnomes like escaped to the tower, and they all fled in the last airships. So if you guys had stopped and investigated that, you would have figured out like, oh, the Kuotoa are on the warpath. We need to be careful. Of course we didn't take the bait, Austin. It was bait. It was obvious bait. <laughs> That's true. But also uh, the main thing was like give closure to uh, Isaac and his father because his father had fled and basically abandoned his son. And that was going to be like a sad moment, I thought, of just like kind of putting a bow on that character. Because you guys never met President Rosemary, who was like actually a full character that we could have explored. Which is fine. I think, honestly, you guys did the more interesting thing because I ended up <laughs> oligarch. I ended up loving Joan so much that if you guys had told her to, to shove it and gone the glitter gold route, I think I, my alternate self would have been missing out on the wonderful character. Granted, I mean that route meant hearing more of your gnome voices, which mm. I'm not sure is a treat or a disaster <laughs> or a trick. Um, so you guys didn't get a lot of gnome characterization, and that's fine because you got a lot of other stuff. You can't have everything. We need more diversity in your podcasts. <laughs> uh, so the next qu question comes from Jonathan Kwiatkowski, who asks, if you could redo one role throughout the campaign, which would it be, and why would you redo it? So this is all for you. I'll be quiet now. The only, the only roles that Drop ever had of any real importance were mostly combat roles. Like, I, I can't think of a situation where... The, I guess the only the only place I can think of where he might have talked his way into a, a, a better situation was the Tiger Mountain arc, like uh, dealing with Guy and and things like that. Because um, what what I was trying to do is I was trying to get the Orc army to basically prove their worth so I could quote unquote hire them by taking down the the little miniature eyeball Jenkins beholder guy. Mm -hmm. I mean, you succeeded. They were like, oh, you're strong and we're strong. Let's make this deal. And then you flipped out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you see, like, at, at that point in time, like, when, when, when the combat kept going, right, was that I was, I was, I was trying to climb to the top of the heap, to be like, Burr, I have bested your leader. Do what I say. Go over there and kill that thing. And that didn't go so well. For me, but apparently it went really well for Skitch. But that's like, I think that's the only place campaign-wise I sort of feel. Everything else, I'm thinking to myself, damn, it would have been great if I nailed that stunt. Hmm. All of my bad rolls are great. They they are all hilarious. Fake um, rolls! <laughs> But no, no. The only the only role that uh, I really wanted to work and, and did not was when um, Drop was uh, fighting the Were Wyvern and Violet was being held down. Uh, what I wanted to do, and we actually I think we, we talked about it on the Skype chat like shortly after the episode. What I wanted to do was have uh, Violet actually get up, and um, since Drop was having difficulty deciding whether or not to kill the Wyvern, I wanted Violet to kill the Wyvern uh, or find a way to. Um, basically, I, that may or may not ruin her deal with Alona, but I thought that that would be a cool character moment where Violet, Violet decides to do something that will probably get get her killed, but it, it's sort of like making her decision about where she stands. Um, that did not happen, but I liked the way it turned out anyway. <laughs> I did everything short of like screaming, please make a roll for knowledge, please, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, please. And you just, you refused. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, you could have just <laughs> choked her to death. 
Um, so her skin is impenetrable because of werewolf myth, but like you could have presumably uh, like broken her neck or did a bunch of, you know, so there were options. Oh, well then I, I was actually going to do the next snap. That was the whole idea that there would be a big, um, Superman kills General Zod, uh, next snap at the end and everyone would go, <gasps> but it looks like, dr- like everyone was kind of leaning towards, um, no. And then there was like a moment where Violet looks at drop and it's like, should I let her go? And drop shrugs which is his thing, and Violet took that to mean no. And so I decided that Violet would not kill the werewolfern if, you know, everyone was like, this is over now. So the moment passed, uh, but uh, I, I was happy with, with the way it ended anyway. What was the question? If you could redo one roll. I, I don't know. Um... Your strength stat? <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. I didn't even think about str- uh, rolls for that. I'd say not being able, I mean, it's not really so much a role as me, I guess, fucking up with the spectator, because that could have meant Ziggy lived. <laughs> we have a question about combat coming up, and I'll definitely talk about that in a sec. But mm-hmm. I think Lavinia's bad stats made a lot of things work, because if you look at the string of events which led her to be able to basically bypass fish party, mm-hmm. she had to get fail the role to not get kidnapped by the Kuatoa. Mm-hmm. Then she had to... Um, Failed to escape. Yeah, failed to escape. Then she failed to attack it back. It slit her throat. Then she had to successfully talk to Hunter, successfully climb up the inside of the pit, successfully get the loot back, and then do a translated talk, and then successfully talk to Father. There's like eight rolls there, right? And if yeah. if it doesn't work out exactly like that, she doesn't put herself in a position to befriend Hunter. I have done. I've done some very difficult passive runs in video games like Dishonored and like Deus Ex and crap like that mm-hmm. I couldn't have played Lavinia <laughs> the, the math on that is comical like if someone actually ran like the percentage chance of hitting every single one of those rolls in exactly the way that needed to happen to get to that result we could never do it again we could run this campaign a hundred times it would never happen the same way and that's really cool Yep. I feel like that about the Tiger Mountains too with um, the talk with Guy so I wouldn't change anything. I know this was more for the players, but if we change a single thing at butterfly effects throughout the entire campaign and yeah. you guys end up somewhere else. The only the only one that I thought would have been interesting would have been being able to see what would have happened if my persuasion attempt towards uh, Fox slash the devil mm. uh, was successful. Yeah, that was a very high DC. I think it was 15 and you rolled like a 12 or 13 or something. Yeah. It, he He was just super evil and he did not want to talk and you almost got it, but like... Got that sword and never used it. I mean, you stabbed Welch with it. You definitely stabbed Welch with it. <laughs> we all we all stabbed Welch. We got in good stabbings. I did not stab Welch, but I put some. Well, you punched Welch. I, I put yeah, I put some some hemorrhaging in there. <laughs> but here's another thing. If you look at my outline, I think there's a part where I, I I like list under items that are gainable during certain parts. I think I put the sword under the first Tiger Mountains arc. Because when you guys saw Fox there, like when Elias and Lavinia were hiding from him in the smoke, mm-hmm. you could have just ran over and yanked it out of his neck. Like you could have had that sword first arc if you had gone Tiger Mountains first. Right. And like then it would have been very different. Like you would have been much, much more dangerous. So like it's funny that you ended up with it and never really put it to too much use. Right. But the alternate is that like everybody you fought died. And that's like super dark. Yeah. To, to an extent, another reason why Elias was apprehensive to actually use the weapon, because it's like, um, uh, this is some serious shit, man. 
Yeah, it actually ties in with this question. Uh, so K Dobbs asks, what what would have happened when the waters rose above the portal to the plane of Earth or the Tiger Mountains portal to hell? Things would get really salty. And steamy. <laughs> so those planes would have started flooding, yeah. which isn't super relevant for our purposes. Like, I don't think you guys actually care if hell floods and obviously it would have only been one of 666 layers so like it's just not... i do i'm going there nope we'll talk about that later but definitely not um no i mean as a person oh as johnny yeah definitely <laughs> but so what what's interesting here is that with portals in the world and the world rising yes eventually other planes would have started flooding i, I don't know if we ever brought that up in show um, there was just like, is Zavala targeting other planes? Like that came up, but like the idea of opening up the stuff flowing into other ones never really got talked about. Right. And when Violet was approached by Zavala during the Mykonos arc, if she had made a deal, and I mean, we probably got a question about this, uh, what would have happened? I mean, obviously I would have made Violet super powerful, which would have been interesting, but also it would have opened a portal up, the, I think, to the Feywild, because she's Fey, Unicorn or Fey, which means the Feywild would have been directly and imminently in super big danger of flooding, because where Violet was when she would have made that deal was, like, right on next to the water. Mm-hmm. So, like, we talked about how when we get to the Feywild, we have to be quick, because the prime material will flood. Like, if Violet had taken that deal, the short-term effects was just would have been that Violet would have been badass, right? Like, she would have gotten, like, a super horn, <laughs> basically and like some cool powers like i would have made her super powerful uh the the bad effect was like oh now the feywild's gonna flood so that would i think that would have been a cool i think uh like elias would have been pretty furious mm-hmm. and probably sylvia <laughs> too uh which would have been a pretty cool friction but yeah but then you know what i would have done what is i would have made a deal in the sky of the material plane <laughs> but while i was on the ground of the feywild so the water flowing in would just flow right back out again in the sky and make a cool air waterfall. See, this is why he made people not be able to talk about it, so they wouldn't pull shit like that. <laughs> I'll, let's just say it's a good thing that Sildiel never was encouraged to attack anyone in the party. That would have been bad. Sildiel was so powerful, and Skitch was so horny for her to fight someone. Hey, I was not <laughs> horny for her to fight someone. That's a mischaracterization. <laughs> <laughs> you were you were hot and bothered, Skitch. Everybody can oh see my. it. I was bothered, but not hot. <laughs> Here's the question about that. James Neely asks, can you explain what, how you altered the NPC combat stats? I really liked how intense the fighting always felt. Uh, first of all, thank you. I think I did uh, kind of a lot behind the scenes to make the show work the way it did, and I'm so, so happy with the way it turned out. I think every fight felt impactful, and it moved at a really good pace. So when the dice fell one way... We get something like the Drop Gem fight, where Drop just whoops her from hell to breakfast, even though she was very powerful. But she botched, and he crit on the first turn. And, like, it's just hard to untilt that, right? So that felt really cool and badass. And then on the other end, you get the Spectator fight, where Ziggy botched, and then that became, like, a very close to total party kill situation, Mm -hmm. which I think a lot of people would consider bad dungeon mastering, but for my purpose of making a radio show, it was exactly what I wanted, is to make every role feel really important and dangerous and cool. Mm-hmm. And it, it worked. Like, it could not have gone any better, from my perspective at least. I think maybe it was a little stressful for you guys. Feel free to chime in. I felt great about it. I mean, from my, my designery standpoint, there are ex- assumptions about how the math works in 5th edition. Mm-hmm. And straying too far of that can be very <laughs> dangerous because it creates, like you said... These one roll can just completely screw everything over, or yep. 
the way certain powers and features operate is built on certain assumptions about how many fights you have roughly per day and otherwise. So, yep. And someone who takes like a bunch of once per rest spells is going to do very well in one of my campaigns because you only have like one fight per arc usually. So it's yeah, it's definitely not balanced. If you're trying to go for if you want balanced D and D radio, Friends at the Table is a good show. I recommend it. It's not it's not this one. What was what was interesting for me is um, I'm gonna go ahead and say as the second most ed, um, experienced D and D player around the table, uh, Austin. I have respect for what you do, but a Skitch has many years on you. Mm-hmm. Um, something that was weird for me was running into characters uh, or monsters or races or things like that that were expected to behave a certain way, mm-hmm. but then didn't. Yeah, and so it was like having having a prior knowledge of D and D would actually hurt you. Was actually prohibitive in this campaign. Yeah, because it was like, okay, I'm pretty sure I know what this is. I'm pretty sure I know what it does. I'm pretty sure that this is gonna work. That didn't work. Oh my god, we're dying. Help. Yeah, which I understand is probably very stressful. It was intentional on my part because. It's more interesting if you guys have to make checks to figure out what's going on than importing outside knowledge. Uh, but now that we have, I think, more experience now going forward, that probably won't be as big of an issue. Yeah, I'm probably not. When um, and, I, and this is the thing, is that you you declared at the beginning of the season, and indeed we did at the beginning of first season too, house rules take precedence. Yeah. Like, that's that's the thing. It's just that being on the other end of it now, where I'm like, ah, I know this. Uh, uh, yeah, it didn't work out so well for me. Yeah, I think one of the themes that I intentionally tried to, to explore, and obviously you guys brought your own stuff to it, and we will probably talk about that later, but was to take the boring parts of established D&D lore and flesh them out or to kind of uh, subvert them or be interesting about them, but not to just flip them. So it would have been very easy to say, oh, you thought drow were evil, but mine, they're good. And like mm-hmm. gnomes are supposed to be good, but mine, they're evil. Gotcha. But I thought it was more interesting to take what they were and then just be like, how would someone function if their entire life they were told they should sacrifice people to spiders and that was okay and good and you should do it mm-hmm. so like joan was evil but she also i felt like was like also a person mm-hmm. and in the same way like oh i threw a spectator at you or you know you actually you thought it was a beholder at first and it's like oh beholder are very powerful but here's how they work mathematically but then it's like oh no it's actually this other thing and i've changed it a little bit this way and it's like the effect was to throw you off balance and that worked <laughs> as as i know as frustrating as it might have been, it it worked. So no, now now we got a feel mm. for it. Uh oh. So they're adapting. I was convinced that uh, Joan uh, was uh, super bad mm-hmm. because one of the first things we learn about her is she says, "I worship a spider." Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, "Oh, oh, okay. This is this is our bad guy." But uh, but uh, no. Not entirely. And I mean, she definitely did. And also there was a part where I think you guys peeped her memories and she like literally was like feeding helpless people to spiders. Mm-hmm. Like she definitely did that. Which is weird because sometimes I feed spiders to helpless people. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> so I, I, yeah, my, my goal was not to uh, just erase what existed, but was to try to make it more interesting. And there's probably more questions about that. I want to talk about Sherry specifically, but for the, the question was, can you explain how you altered the NPC combat stats? And the answer is I lowered their health and increased their damage and also changed the action economy, which is like how many moves they get to make it less 
because I wanted their turns to be shorter. Mm. So one of the things that you might notice during the edits that I put in the show is that like things go at a pretty neat clip. So it's like, I go damage, you go damage, you know, explanation, explanation, description, description. When we're recording, it's usually like, hold on, let me check my, uh, is that five? Hold on. Which box do I type it in? Clicky, clicky, click. Like it's, it's that stuff happens with a lot of the players. And mine is like, when it's my turn, I have it ready to go. I click and I say your turn. <laughs> like it takes like 10 seconds tops because I, I have done work before we started to make it as fast as possible. I know it's not ideal way to play for our players. I know it's not <laughs> like it's, it's kind of a lot. It's stressful, but I think it's better for the show. It's good broadcasting. Yeah. That's just one of the, the compromises you have to make when you're putting it out for other people to enjoy. I'm sorry, I know that you, like, you edited the first season as well, but that was, like, that was one of my, like, my biggest challenges, was to go from playing Dungeons & Dragons for the sake of playing D&D, mm -hmm. to, like, okay, we have a show. <laughs> yeah. Uh, welcome to the D&D show, it's, there's <laughs> dice, it, roll it, mm -hmm. you got a number, is it bigger than that one? Congratulations. You know, like, it, it was... It's it's weird to try and find that middle ground. Yeah, and also because the podcast we did to get into podcasting is explicitly about putting as little effort in as possible. <laughs> so, oh man! So it's a big changeup. Oh my! Um, so that's uh, looks like most of the Twitter questions. I'm going to switch over to the forum and sweet baby Jesus, we're going to be here until Wednesday. <laughs> I'm going to try to go as fast as possible. And if I don't get to your questions, I apologize. I'm just going to try to pick out the ones that jump to me. Mm -hmm. Leon, why a unicorn? This comes from CD Burn on the forum. What made you come up with that idea? Something that is honestly such a cool, fantastic concept and to pair it with a barbarian. <laughs> is that for? Is that to avoid the complexity of spellcasting classes? Is there rest of that? Yeah. Question? Uh, all right. In terms, in terms, I'll, I'll answer the second part uh, first. Uh, why barbarian? Because I don't want to. I don't want to play a spellcaster. It sounds like a little bit extra work for me, and I am more about um, fun and stories and not how many spell slots do I have left. Oh. Okay. Which I'm sure is not actually <laughs> that hard, but I don't. I don't want to. Um, so in terms of why a barbarian, I think that's how that got fleshed out for, for practical purposes. Um, why a unicorn? I like unicorns. They're cool. Um, there's no, like, there's no, like, um, I, I haven't been planning to play a unicorn since I was six years old and finally I sprung it or, um, I was watching, um, a movie and there was a unicorn. I'm like, I'm going to adapt that character. I just, I think I just like them and that would be fun. And I also thought Austin's reaction would be funny. Um, I, I, was, I, think I, was, I think I was looking through D&D uh, &D stuff and I saw a unicorn and I'm like, yeah, yeah, that, that sounds like me. I mean, there's, I mean I, there's no like amazing story behind it. They're just cool. That's it. So the next question is from John Paul who asks, people seem to be assuming that Dr. Sherry was sincere when she said the moss part was part of her. Was this true? Uh, yes, first of all. Um, I try to make all the characters tell the truth except for Welch, uh, which was intentional because I think it's hard enough to keep track of all the details in a D&D campaign without also having to keep track of who's telling you the truth and who's lying. Like just keeping... Oh, tell me about it. Thank you for that. Just keeping statements straight is hard enough. So Welch was a deliberate exception because she was lying about who she was and she was also evil. Mm -hmm. I tried to make uh, even Jem be as honest as she could without just coming out and saying, I'm a lycanthrope. <laughs> 
But like she wouldn't lie, she just wouldn't mention it. Uh, so Dr. Sherry was 100% serious. The Moss Heart was literally just her organs animated with evil magic. And you guys didn't really totally get into like Noel and Goblin culture that much, which is totally fine. It didn't turn out to be relevant. But like the idea behind that was in fiction, Noles are super fucking evil. They're like literally demon spawn like the demon i think it's like yinogu it's like impossible to spell or pronounce mm-hmm. like made them to be ravenous engines of massacres like that's all they do is kill and eat and kill and eat there's like a book called uh volo's guide to monsters which has like 10 pages which is just them repeating for paragraphs and paragraphs Knowles love to kill over and over in new ways it's like that's their whole thing but dr sherry like it's the nature versus nurture right she was raised by people who didn't pass on their culture and as a medic. So she like was fighting kind of like her nature versus who she wanted to be. She wanted to be good, but inside she had all this anger and violence. And so when the Moss Heart was away from her, it was like a violent monster. Yeah, she could she could really kill a sandwich. She loves sandwich. That's the, that I mean that's the kind of comedy version of her being cursed with an unquenchable hunger. <laughs> Like, if you guys had more interactions with her, I kind of wanted to have her go berserk in your presence. Like, she did so off-camera when she killed Vinny and off-camera when she killed Eyeball Jenkins. But, like, I would have kind of liked to have gotten it on camera once, but I think you guys kind of got the the gist without me hammering it home. The one thing I think is uh, fun that no one really picked up on, which is totally fine, I think I saw someone asking, like, the comments, was how come it took several days for the Moss Heart to reanimate on the ship ride from the Ragged Woods to the Tiger Mountains? after after drop stomped it but it recovered in like a couple hours between time drop stomped it at the monastery and when it attacked the orcs and the answer to that and that sounds like a plot hole but i actually did have an answer if someone had asked which is when you guys were in prison and violet prayed to alona saying please help i won't kill anyone anymore alona didn't answer directly because you have to have a spell to do that (laughs) but she did answer secretly which was by reviving the moss heart to act as their trump card later. So that is why it was rare and to go and super violent because it was roided up on Alona magic. Oh. So Leon, you killed everybody in the Tiger Mountains. It's your fault. You need to fight Jem now. <laughs> <laughs> so that that's the secret explanation of that. Uh, I think it totally works without the explanation, but if anybody had asked, that is what I would have said. There's also, there's also that one poster who posted a question pertaining to every, pertaining to every episode. I would love to answer every single one of these. We simply do not have time. Johnny has Kung Fu and Leon has a show. Lightning round. I wanted to answer one of their questions on air just because. Uh, so this is Toshiro Kuro who basically asked a question about episode 13. Were you legit mad about the blowing of both spell slots? <laughs> uh, yes, I was legit mad about that because I just recently became able to do magic. I'm like, damn it, I want to be able to do stuff with this. And the first thing I do is blow both my slots just to put one person to sleep. I mean, what's funny there is that, like, the way the spell works as written is that I was actually really nice in letting you stack them when they really wouldn't. Oh, I, oh, I know. I, I know. But I, I think it's funny that <laughs> you were mad even when things kind of went your way. But also that works for Elias because he's, like, wanted his whole life to be magic and then he's magic and then he fucks it up. Yep. Kind of, kind of adorable. Um, Jade, our doctorate of questions, MVP, of course, asks, did the forums influence slash change anything about the campaign? Uh, she also asks, who do you ship? And I'm just going to throw that out there if anybody wants to touch that one. But <laughs> mainly, did the fan reactions change how you guys did anything? No, not really. Yeah, I don't think so. Okay, wait, wait. <laughs> all right, all right, wait. I did play with Skitch a little bit more on air. I admit it. Yep. I fanned the flames. <laughs> I'm guilty. 
I would say they actually influenced me a lot, like from little things like, oh, Dr. Sherry wears glasses because someone drew that in a picture or the name Goodwood, which I had <laughs> Zamal call you. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. Uh, one of our one of our listeners suggested the last name Goodwood. Yeah, that was not on the character sheet. There's a lot of stuff like that where we just like pick up little details. I wouldn't say anything was like, oh, I saw someone had a good idea, so I stole it. And that's the show. But it's like little things. I wish I, uh, I wish I could remember who suggested that. I'm gonna try and hunt it down. Mm-hmm. Oh, and like the um, Orc Star, the song. That was Jamie. Yeah, they wrote that, and also the song at the end uh, that we played in the finale was by uh, someone on the forums, by Sam. Um, I don't know if they want to use their SoundCloud name, which is SDN, if you want to find their stuff. But Sam on the forums, like, so we definitely, I, I was influenced at least, if, if no one else. I don't know if it influenced my way of playing within the campaign itself proper, but it was, I mean, I'd have to double check, but I mean, I interact with the forums very regularly. So mm-hmm. there's, there's probably some things that were uh, passively influenced uh, as a result of the forum interactions. Yeah. I try When someone asks a question in the forums, I try to answer with like a time code of the episode where the answer is found mm-hmm. if it's available. And if not, sometimes I don't answer because I don't want to influence the way that people kind of see some of this stuff because I want there to be room for interpretation. Um, I'm very much a death of the author kind of person. If you have a different view of a character, like that's yours and don't let me take that away from you. (laughs) If you wanted things to work out differently, have that in your heart. That's, that's yours. Um, I like taking influence from the audience, but also like you guys have often way better ideas than I do. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. Uh, it was at Gray Rick nine four nine Rick Armstrong. Oh, so Rick, Rick, big ups, massive high five. I'm holding it as high as I can right now. Give me a high five. <laughs> Three, two, one, slap. Yes, <laughs> thank you so much. That was like, that was the best. <laughs> that was the best. I di- I didn't um I di- I don't know about influence but in in terms of the second part of that question about um shipping I didn't initially even consider the idea of Violet being romantically linked with any of the other characters because it just looks gross in my head um uh but <laughs> I'm sorry um I did want her to be friends with Drop because Drop was the only like clearly all human character and part of Violet's original backstory uh was that she was super interested in humans when she became a human i briefly flirted with the idea that she would make goo goo eyes at drop and i think i did that once where she blushed at him but then i was like we do not have time for this the game is almost (laughs) over uh so yeah it's a it's a cute little moment more than a full plot line yeah that's all i'll say i do ship Vinny and jam though Mm-hmm. And that was, of course, mm. totally organic. I had no idea that was coming. There was just an awkward moment where you wanted to go get food, and then I had two characters in a room <laughs> together, and I didn't know what to do. <laughs> I didn't. Just for the record, I did not ship drop with anybody mm-hmm. actually, because there's there's no way that that sad boy could have not a chance. Mm-hmm. So yeah. no. And I'm I'm, I'm kind of same minded with Elias, but that's for other reasons that I've kind of outlined in the forums as well. I have a lot of uh, like moments planned because I <laughs> like I, I've mentioned this to Austin many times. Uh, I'm not great at improvising uh, comedy or even drama, but I'm good at writing it in advance. So I had a lot of ideas about stuff that I was going to do that didn't happen. But I am glad that I wrote out the things that did end up happening that ended up being good because if I were just put on the spot, it just wouldn't sound good. 
truly, I did an amazing job casting this show <laughs> for, for, for the skill sets required. <laughs> the next question comes from Sekhmet, who asks, what major plot details were in place at the beginning that changed over the course of the campaign and what sparked that change? I touched on this a little bit as far as like the basically the entire point of the conflict changed because of the choices you guys made and because of the voice that came out of my mouth when I talked for the character in Drop's head. <laughs> but also there was a couple of scenes I had pictured in my mind and not really ahead of the whole campaign, but like in the week leading up to the episode, right? Mm-hmm. Where I'd be like, oh, I bet this is how this is going to happen. And not a single thing I ever had in mind ever happens. <laughs> <laughs> the, the the first one off the top of my head is like the bodies on the beach i was like oh you guys are going to investigate that there will be really dramatic where you guys um look pick over the bodies maybe do an investigation check <gasps> one of them's captain coin <laughs> he's dying violet you're gonna have a, a, a moment to either forgive him or maybe put him out of his misery and that like nope <laughs> nope nothing <laughs> i ever thought before like oh i'm sure this none of that ever happened <laughs> oh <laughs> not a single time i know that feel but yeah, that's the answer. Captain Coin was dying on the beach. Oh, I, I actually would have liked to have uh, been the one to uh, stomp on his head. Um, Revan asks, what check do you wish the others would have done? Um, uh, this is something I'm going to talk about. Episode one, season three. This is my style. I don't know if this is everybody's. This is the way I play the game. And there was a little bit of miscommunication. So I'm going to be very clear. I like to make people make saving throws. I like when you do the checks. And that's just the way I approach the game because I feel like uh, saving throws are like things you're avoiding and checks are like attempts you're making. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times like you guys could have made mostly intelligence checks like, you know, about this religion or about this culture, about stuff like that. And that's be- this is because I wanted to give you the opportunity to kind of like Sherlock it, like to have that scene where you walk in and you notice the mm-hmm. scuff marks and then you put this and this together. Mm-hmm. And if I just said like, hey, everybody give me math to see if you get the exposition. <laughs> doesn't feel mm-hmm. cool to me and i just mm-hmm. wasn't clear enough about expressing that so no that, that makes sense i mean saving throws sound like things that happen to you and checks seem like things that we were supposed to make happen i'm different minded on that especially because passive investigation is a literal stat in the game which is act like passive perception so you walk into a room and if something goes beyond that passive threshold the character intuits it or notices it by facto or and I, I would, there's a couple times, mostly early in the game, where I'd say, oh, drops the most perceptive, he notices X. Right. But as the campaign went on, that DC exceeded anyone's passive. So, once again, I probably should have been clearer about that. But for future, the knowledge checks, I think, are actually, I was going to say, knowledge checks are going to be more on the player in Season 3. That's not true. I've built an NPC specifically to help you with that. <laughs> <laughs> Is it an exposition <laughs> robot? What do you, what do you, what do you mean? Doctor story time. The NPC will be there if you have questions. So if you're like, how does X work? That'll be that. That's what that's for. Right, 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 right. If you want to walk into the room and Sherlock scan it to solve the mystery, that's still, that's still a check yeah. because that's, it's cool for you to do that. So you succeed and win and be cool badass. But for anyone who just has a question, I want anybody at any time, just be like, how does X work? Why does X work? And then that just be easy. Okay. Uh, Lauren slash Lavinia, ne- you never seem to use cutting words, <laughs> question mark. This is from, this is from uh, Tushikuru, and I noticed this as well, not just cutting words, but also uh, Vicious Mockery, which is the iconic mm-hmm. bard cantrip, <laughs> the spell that you get infinite of, and that is oh, yeah. both damaging and helpful. Lavinia never used once, mm-hmm. 
I mean, feel free to speak on this, but I think it's just like such a perfect encapsulation of Lavinia. Yeah, no, it's it's perfect for the character. (laughs) Cutting words is such a good ability, too. It's so good. Vinny wants to make friends with all our evil enemies, so that should tell you something. And and also, to be fair, I've never, I literally never, I've literally never played D&D before. <laughs> so, it's really easy for me to forget about, like, things that I had at my disposal, because I didn't, never played before. And that's totally fair. I just think it's funny that, like, the main tools of the bard were a little too rude for Vinny. <laughs> <laughs> So next question, uh, Xenochrist asks, uh, if the players defeated the Sky Pirate crew and fled with the airship in episode one, how would the game have proceeded at that point? (laughs) I was trying to make it happen. I was trying to make it happen, Xenochrist. So they were essentially at level six, which is where you guys ended up, but you were at level one. So mathematically, I don't know you would have been able to beat them in combat, but you could have done something like weird and interesting, like jumped onto their ship while they were on the other ship and then ran off with it or, and, you know, there's a bunch of couple, like just cool, weird, creative stuff you could have done. And if you had escaped and just went where you were going, just escaped, then we would have probably had a scene where you like tried to like live in the new place. And then the water kept rising and you're like, Oh, it's everywhere. And then Vinny probably would have been like, Oh, my family, like th- you probably would have ended up going back. It just would have changed like a, the timetable. <laughs> which is would not have been great. And B, I probably would have made up some characters for over there who would have come with you. Like, I guess the short answer is I would have made shit up, right? <laughs> That's the short answer. Yeah. I just realized we could have Star Trek 3'd it. We could have dest- dest- destroyed our ship while going on to their ship. Mm-hmm. <sighs> There's a lot of cool stuff. <laughs> oh, here's a good one. This is from Kirsten, uh, the random answer on the forums. Uh, she asks... Did you guys have anything planned for your characters that didn't happen for story reasons? <laughs> yeah, tons. Um, one thing, um, basically, the, the whole uh, idea behind Violet originally was that she was going to be very pure of heart and that she just really loved humans and then she would uh, just... And, and, and we would go from there. Um, but when the Blackhearts showed up, in my mind, look, I know, I realize that uh, you know Austin's campaign is going to go uh, his own way, but because I have ver- a very um like Final Fantasy RPG mindset with this that I eventually had to get rid of, um, when the pirates showed up, the fight music just happened in my head. I was like, oh, oh, the pirates are here. We obviously have to fight them. Um, and everyone else was like, no, let's just see how this goes. <laughs> in my mind, I, I didn't uh, get that that would be a thing. But then I was like, maybe that's just Violet. Maybe she, maybe she, she's just really violent. Uh, and I just kind of went with it uh, that way. So that was a um, a, a character trait that um, – in complete character reversal, I think it happened in the second episode, just because um, we don't necessarily have to fight everyone in this. It's like Undertale in that regard. So I, I had an idea for like a moment of Elias trying to persuade the, um, the Archmages to offer resources or strength going into the final fight, but then a few things happened. Um, one, Welch got there first, and secondly, for some reason... An airship started almost crashing into the Autumn Palace. I'm not sure what led to that, though. I don't know if I, like, fully intended for Vinny to be as, like, sweet as she was. Like, I I took it way more overboard than I had originally planned. 
Because at a certain point, you just became you. I, that's fair. <laughs> which is not a not a critique of your role playing ability. We kept throwing animal people at me, and how, what were they supposed to do? Yeah. I mean, they're, they're 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 animals, but animals aren't inherently good or evil. So that's a lie. <laughs> you're, you're, oh, you're so wrong. They're all good boys. Also, also, just the fact that just literally stabbing you and cutting your throat is not enough to apparently think, hey, maybe that should be my new best friend. That was also a comedic choice I made. <laughs> I I said this to Lauren early on. I was like, so I like Vinny a lot, but I feel like you're deliberately passing up on a lot of opportunities for character development. Like you just forgave Sherry as soon as you found out she killed you. You haven't held a tusk choking you against him like you're just being and then like halfway through the sentence i realized oh oh it's because you're you're just a conflict averse person (laughs) (laughs) it's just because you don't like confronting people (laughs) even in our fakey fake make-believe world think about that that was actually a thing that we talked about austin that didn't happen was elias and Vinny having a bit of conflict yeah and a bit of an argument at some point so, yeah, there's a couple times you guys could have clashed. Uh, not just Lavinia and Elias, but Violet and everyone at some point. I... Sure. No, I had even written a, a song uh-huh. for when I got into a fight with Elias. Yeah? But it never happened, so... How did it go? <laughs> um, It was supposed to be to the tune of um Maria from Sound of Music. Mm-hmm. Oh. Like, nobody solves a problem like Maria, but it would be like... I forget what the words were now, but it was like... Something, something, something like Elias, but it was me. Nobody is a problem like Elias. Something like that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I had some, jo- I had some jokes that I was going to do on the show, but uh, they they required basically writing jokes in a narrative sense, in a collaborative narrative sense, is hard because it requires someone else to do the setup, mm-hmm. and so that happened occasionally. My best stuff did not happen because it just couldn't, and that's that's the way that works. I, I, I want to drop to live. Oh. oh, I'm so sorry. No, no, no. I mean, like, but the thing is that I wanted I want to drop to, like, live in a mangled way. You know, like, things that he had done and the things that he had seen and the things that he learned about himself were all just maybe, like, would have been too much for him. So I kind of pictured drop just, like, you know, like, leaving the monastery even and just, like going to a farm well okay so i think we sh- we're gonna have the ending conversation now uh, we'll get back to the questions but mm. there's a bunch of stuff i have to say on that subject because uh a if you want to have your headcanon be that they picked a different door you can have that like there's no reason you can't exist in a world where drop lived like just because that's the one we went with there's a lot of cool ideas we talked about also even in the one we did pick uh because of the way that Death and the afterlife works in D and D. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait, see, I was a little confused about that. So maybe Austin, you can clear this up for uh, for me too, because the way the way you said it was uh, instead of drop, you know, being drop that we knew, you said drop died in infancy. Yes. So that doesn't that mean that drop did in fact exist, but just died before reaching maturity? Yeah. Exactly. Okay. I was under the impression that he died in childbirth. That's the same thing. I guess that depends on when you consider life starting. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> oh my. The, po- the point is drop died young but because of the way the afterlife works in D, that means drop soul went to probably either the outlands or mechanis depending on if he was lawful which are great great places both of them read about them and you'll be real happy to hear about what goes on there i once stayed at a holiday inn in the outlands and man let me tell you 
Because he hadn't been indoctrinated to any church and didn't believe in any god or anything like that, so obviously some really great things happened to him. Oh, so I think you're thinking of like that wall from the older editions of D and D. Like that would okay. So D and D has gone through a lot of changes. It used to be very bad to die without a god. Now in the fifth and the version that I I'm under the assumption we're playing is that you basically just went to Planescape as a baby. No, you would have been just in like a pure platonic soul form called a, a petitioner. Uh-huh. which is not really uh, age. It doesn't, it doesn't really have an age. Mm-hmm. You're just like your pure essence, and you're just like chilling with everybody else's pure essence. Here's I shouldn't say the sentence out loud Uh-oh. because I don't know if I actually want to do this as a later season. Edit it out if you have to. I like yeah. the idea of the final image of this stupid season being a bar. Glasses clinking, people are talking, the camera pans over, Ronaldo's sitting at the bar. The door opens, drop comes in. <laughs> because they both died without religious ties, so they both end up in the same place forever. What if they're friends? What if oh they're God. friends? What if they're friends? It'd be like an all-star season. I'm in. I'm so in. I, I got I got I have a quick question, Austin. Yeah. What would have happened if Elias had his deepest wish to be to never be able to forget what had happened up to this point? Yeah, so let's talk about that. There's a ton of different deals you guys could have made. And remember, it's not like a trade. He literally just all Zavala wanted was the abstract concept of you being open to the sacrifice, right? So it's not like you had to give anything up. If anyone else wanted to say the words, you could have anything just with like the the spiritual psychological knowledge that you gave him what it wanted, which was kind of because he was kind of like a a slimy dick that you didn't want yeah, to agree it, it, with. He, he, just, he, he always wants to be closing his deals, I know. Always be closing. He's Alec Baldwin, yeah. Right. So, yes. <laughs> if at the end, Elias would have said it too, and his thing was like, I would have remembered this journey, that's that's also like just as legitimate. So, like, yeah, that's totally uh, feasible. Uh, I also wanted to talk about, like, what would have happened if we did some of the other ones? Like, we went into some detail, but, like, here's a thought I had, mm-hmm. which is... If you if you wanted the quote unquote best ending, and once again I'm like hesitant about even saying this because I don't want anyone to think you guys did like wrong or anything. Like, I'll hear it. The ending you guys did was great. I liked it. It was thematically coherent in a way that shouldn't shouldn't have been, frankly. Right. It, it uh, did a lot of stuff with giving everybody kind of what they wanted. Like drop was no longer under the influence of anything. He also got to create a world where Shayathane never suffered. Yep. You know, Lavinia got all her friends back. She created a world where her parents never had to mourn her. Elias ended up, you know, going on his adventure, learning magic, getting closer with his mom, helping shape nations. Violet got to be a unicorn and got people to think she's a hero. And like, yes, they lost stuff. They lost their character development. But that's because in the theme of the show is sacrifice. And you guys had to give up something meaningful and something that would be sad to lose or else it wouldn't mean anything. Right. So I say all that because... I didn't go into the episode with any expectations. I deliberately tried not to have in mind anything you guys could do because I didn't want it to like influence the direction. I wanted to just shut up, listen, hear your ideas, and then give you feedback. Right. With that said, in like the two weeks since we've recorded that, I followed the dominoes back to try to figure out what is the quote-unquote like mm-hmm. best possible ending because the flooding mm-hmm. started with the Kuatoa, and the Kuatoa only made their deal because the Blackhearts made their deal. So that is the that's where the dominoes start. Right. Is at the heist of the Temple of Primus. Uh, before that, Zavala saved Drop, and we want that. If we cut off the dominoes between those two events, theoretically we save everyone. 
So if you guys had had like a wish, like I, my heart's deepest desire is the Blackhearts never went to the Temple of Primus. Oh my God. That saves everyone. That would have done it. Ugh. You could have saved me. I tried so hard. <laughs> you could have saved well, no, I mean, me. Because, and that was one of the things I realized afterwards as well. It's like, yeah, it's all about the Blackhearts. But in the moment, there's so much pressure that it's... <laughs> Sometimes you miss things. <laughs> no, it's all right. I mean, we all thought hard. I mean... But I, I actually have a counterpoint to that, Austin. Mm-hmm. Because there's no guarantee that something else couldn't have also happened to the Blackhearts to put them in a desperate state to where they would have still have made the exact same deal. Knowing me, I would not have made them made the same deal, but obviously in the new world created from that wish, there would have been consequences. Some things would have been better. Some things would have, would have been worse. Like I would have respected your maneuver to get the people you cared about alive, but maybe he made a different deal which affected the world in some other way, and I would have just made it up on the spot. Like right. now there's a terrible sickness spreading through this continent, but everyone you like is alive, you know? Something like that. Right, right. I, I have a question. What if we went with Corporeal Zavala and Violet stabbed it to death. I really want to know. <laughs> we got that question a number of times, and during the show, Elias rolled Arcana on that, and I told him uh, killing Zavala would end the pe- the geshes of the pe- that are keeping the people alive. So Sherry still would have died, Lita still would have died, Lavinia still would have died, Drop wouldn't have died, yeah, but Shayathane would have. Mm. Yeah. And to my mind, if this season was made into a movie, like if we option the movie rights to this, yeah. the movie ends with you guys killing Zavala because it's a cool action scene that looks good on screen. Yeah. But for the podcast, I have a hard time reconciling the idea that Drop would willingly make a world where with his philosophy that death should be accepted, that he would pass up the chance to sacrifice himself and instead condemn his mentor to death. Right. While Lavinia who like likes Ziggy and Hunter more than anyone would let them stay dead and also die again, forcing her parents to mourn her for a second time rather than sacrifice herself to create a world where Ziggy and Hunter are alive and her parents never had to mourn her. That, 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 that makes sense. But what I, the reason why, basically I was right about to just say, I'll give you anything, but I, I held back because we had, I wanted, I didn't, I wanted the group to decide um, even though that is not what Violet would have done. Um, you know what? If Violet had had done that, yeah, there there might have been a uh, <clears throat> a party turn. Right, right. That's but that but that's 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 what's where I'm confused because we did not we specifically did not know the outcome to that one because uh, Zavala made it hazy so that we would have no idea what would have happened because all the other all the other doors all the other doors we open are like oh if we do that that would happen if we do that that would happen and these are the consequences this is the only one we didn't know the consequences you you did know who was going to live and die because i told elias because of his crit but you didn't know the actual outcome of the physical fight and that's in character, that's because Zavala just didn't want to show you guys stabbing him to death. Right. And out of character, because I didn't want to say, oh, you handle him easily, but then we actually roll it and you guys botch and fall on your face. Because that would have, like, contradicted <laughs> itself. So. Yeah, because uh, there's other ways I could have stated that in character, but I figured that was the reason. Because if a fight were to break out, you didn't want to just predetermine what the fight was going to be at that instant. Exactly. But I also didn't think it was fair to withhold the results, and also you crit. So I said, like, outright, people who have Gesh keeping them alive die. Uh, yeah. But, like, for example, if you guys would have killed Zavala physically, Drop and Joan, arguably, like, the two favorite characters, at least mine and a lot of people I've seen on social media, would have lived. And that would have been cool. Like, selfishly, I would have liked that. I like Drop and I like Joan. Mm. But those are the characters who were most 
okay with their own deaths. Yeah, right. Like, since before the show even started, they both were consigned to death. So the idea that they would both change their mind after 10 months of us making this show, it, like, breaks my mm-hmm. suspension of disbelief. Yeah, Drop, Drop wanted agency. He didn't want, you know, he didn't want to, like, live the life and see the sights and... I, I I just wanted Violet to get her stabs in before uh, Elias put her to sleep. Uh, no, no, no. I wouldn't have had to because you're dealing with a corporeal form of a effectively a deity-ish creature. It's going to be either resistant or uh, invulnerable to non-magic weapon attacks. Be respectful. A post-dimensional creature, please. Oh, no, I'm sorry. But but Violet's, Violet's wish would definitely be you're just meat now. Not, not, not. Oh, you're you're the thing that I want you to be. It's I want you to be meat that I can stab. I wouldn't have screwed you over. He would have been a, basically Thank a you. meat golem, and you guys would have killed him. It was <laughs> eleven to one. Austin, be respectful. It. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I misgendered Zavala a lot, and that's just because I have a dumb, bad mouth. Uh, it's mm-hmm. definitely it. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, and so the question which we were on from Kirsten was, did you guys have any? planned for your characters that didn't happen for story reasons we'll get back to the ending stuff in a minute i just wanted to throw mine out there before i forget it which is among other things i i was expecting gwendolyn to be more of a character yep <laughs> before Elias killed her and i have absolutely no problem with the way ter- things turned out because she wasn't needed clearly and she that added to Elias's characterization and stuff but it really did blow my chance of making the pun I had been saving about her name. Um, And this is the part where Lauren gets to throw me under the world's largest bus. You've been saving this since episode 10. Here I am. I'm laying down in the middle of the road. Run me over. Okay. I mean, I know Johnny was on to you. Uh-huh. Like, the thing that got me is I was literally, like, just listening to my fucking playlist. And Fleet Foxes came on. And it was one of the songs that these... The whole, the whole, the whole world is Fleet Foxes. And nobody said it. I, I haven't seen anybody say it. Because there's a song called Ragged Woods. I think the album is Lorelei. There's a song called Tiger Mountain Peasant Song. There what was the other one. Mykonos is a song. And then I started looking up all your other names. And it's literally all music shit. Every single character and place in season two is a music joke. I know. I knew Johnny knew. I'm the person who would know the least. It also helps because Johnny's character's name is Drop, which also helps in that realm, too. So the the punchline to Gwendolyn was uh-huh. that she was a spider, and Gwen Stefani has a song called Spiderwebs. <laughs> oh. Oh, my. <laughs> and that's, uh. I was so excited for that joke. Kay and Moreno are members of the Deftones. Chino Moreno is the lead singer of the Deftones. Yep. James Maynard Keenan, aka Sheriff K, lead singer of Tool. Oh no, it's Tool. That's right, because they do they do music together. They did a yeah. Actually, when I came up with that, your dad's, we were sitting, and I was like, uh, so what is your parent situation? And you're like, oh, I don't want to be stereotypical, but you can make up the rest of it. And we were listening to Passenger. But yep. Which is a duet between James James Maynard Keenan and Chino Moreno. Every every single character. We can sit here and play a game if you guys want to if you guys want to jump a step to me, but uh Swift Justice. Uh Taylor Swift. Oh, nice. <laughs> nice. Okay. Um yeah. So we we could do that literally the rest of the night. Even little things like I would describe someone as like stabbing northward. 
It's instead of a normal thing a human would say because there's a band called Stabbing Westward. He Jojoed us. Almost every single word I spoke in the season was a musical reference. <laughs> yeah, I can just I can just picture you now with a stack of CDs, just like shit. I got a couple of the character name. Uh, come over here. Um, mm-hmm. Eiffel sixty five. <laughs> this is you're you're in a town called the Edge. Uh, I mean, yeah. I'm pretty sure somebody in the forums uh, picked up on the Blackhearts. Early, yeah. I saw a comment, I think, on YouTube, like, episode three or four, where someone's like, I think Joan is part of the Blackhearts because Joan Jet, and yes, you got me. <laughs> is, is this a motif that's going to continue, or... every No, every season has its own things, and I'm always contrasting. So first episode was Low Magic humans second uh season was steampunkish ocean punkish stuff animals and people named after music and then third season is going to be an entirely different set of creatures an entirely different set of themes it's going to have a different like naming convention and that's like the challenge to myself is to give each one its own flavor by contrasting Mm -hmm. okay yeah so that that joke's done there will be a new joke welch what is welch supposed to be a reference to See, I almost bollocks that one because my original idea was to name her Florence. <laughs> and the machine! Uh, yep, yeah, because she was a machine wizard. Uh, but that was a little too on the nose. Luckily, uh, Florence has a last name. Oh, god damn it! <laughs> I'm so mad at you! <laughs> you! You should be glad that I'm the wrong type of musician slash composer to be catching on those jokes. Uh, oh, I also love the the top picture of Florence Welch on her Wikipedia is her in a big blue dress. That's right. That's not intentional. It was a reference to her album, How Big, How Blue, How Beautiful. Sorry. Sorry for the person I am. I'm sorry for the way I am. <laughs> you know, as, so, as someone who barely listens to music, I would not have gotten that in a million years. I, I mean, I'm, I'm more offended by your, your balance modifications than your music puns, so don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> God, I just got dragged. What's with your math? I got dragged so hard. <laughs> so, Cosmignon, the Ink Master General, has a ton of questions. I would like to get to a couple of them at least. She asks, "What would it be possible for you to play out some of the other Zavallo scenarios? If you guys have any that you didn't bring up that you want to bring out now, I can kind of walk you through them. Uh, I know we technically did that with some of the Desire Doors, but I'm most interested in the world of Elias's Final Heart's Desire if I'm being quite honest. And that was the one where you guys kind of just accepted what was happening. And I think like just basically banished him. Like your wish was just like, go away and then we'll fix stuff on our own. Mm-hmm. Which is, if this was a, like I said, if, if this is a movie, it would have ended one way. Yeah. If this was a novel, I think it would have ended Elias's way because I think there's like a, a scouring of the Shire. Right. Oh yeah. Right. Return of the King epilogue where that could be made interesting. I don't know if it's interesting on a podcast Right. To have a 20 minute epilogue where you guys talk about like, let's ship some grain or something. Yeah. 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 Let's get buckets. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think there's a way to make that interesting. But I think the basic vision is like you guys get arrested by the Eladrin, the zone of truth you to figure out what you were doing. And then you're let go and you're like, let's get to work building and mourning. The end. Yeah. The end. The only thing I was going to ask and just off the top of your head, if Elias did ask for, I want to remember everything. What sort of mark would have been left on him afterwards in the alternate timeline? Ooh, it's a good question. Probably something on the ear because of his earring motif. I made, I mm-hmm. once again just made up the wedding ring thing for Lavinia, kind of on the spot. Yeah. And I was also curious. No one really questioned what happens when she dies because remember the deals are temporary. Uh, I have my own personal interpretation. 
Um, I don't want to tell anyone else that theirs is wrong, but eventually Lavinia will die. So. Well, we all will. What is your interpretation? That's, that's how that works. I mean, at the risk of telling anybody else that theirs is wrong, uh, when Lavinia dies, the wheels go back into their original alignment, uh, and it has turned so that it's not Zavala, it's somebody else. Interesting. So that so basically, someone else would intersect with the PMP, then a different adventure would happen. Everybody in season two sacrificed so that the prime material wouldn't have to deal with Zavala. They basically got a break from outside influence, but it's not like forever. Permanent, yeah. All right, so I guess next question. Uh, this is another Cosmignon joint. What is everyone's favorite moment of role playing? I answer this in the forums. And it's something that Cosmignon actually referenced in one of her uh, drawings um, was when Joan said to Elias, I could kill you anytime I want, or effectively, and Elias responded, so why don't you? And sort of catching her completely off guard with that was probably one of my favorite moments in retrospect. Uh, mine was Violet versus Billy. Yeah, that was good. That, that, that whole scene. I did so many cool things. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, so, I mean, so did Elias. I mean, there's things I don't... <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> I don't consider saving drop to be a role-playing moment. I consider that to be a combat moment. It's jokes. So when, I th- my, when I think role-playing, I think strictly acting as the character, not doing things in combat as a player. Lavinia really came into her own near the end. Uh, we, we were talking about the um, popularity poll before we started recording and so mad. drop one by like nearly 20%. Everyone loves drop. Everyone else was very close around the 20% mark. Mm-hmm. But I, I feel like if it weren't for the last arc or so, Lavinia would have been much lower. Like everyone really got on board with her after she started just being unreasonably understanding. <laughs> I, I, I'd say that the, as an interesting side comment, I think that the character that went through the largest arc in terms of pers- uh, personal growth and change was probably drop in the scheme of things. Yeah. Because he went from, he basically became altruistic to a certain fault towards the end of the campaign, which was neat to see that happen. I thought, I, I do, I do, I'm still, I do still really, really, really like, um, the, my, in the Tiger Mountains arc, mm-hmm. my conversation with Guy. That was good. That and maybe any of my really good charisma roles, <laughs> charisma roles, really. <laughs> Anything where I had to talk my way out of something was my favorite. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, hanging out in Bullywug Town, boosting Ziggy. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Yeah, just being like, yeah, dude towed 12 boats by himself. I saw it. He was fast. It was amazing. He was on fire. Literally didn't hurt him. He was underwater, too. It was crazy. Uh, I'm going to guess uh, uh, Austin's favorite moment, mm-hmm. which was making me incredibly awkward. By having uh, Professor Chance macking like crazy on Sildia. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea where that came from. I just opened my mouth and it happened. No, I mean that was just that was just like one of the things where I'm thinking this makes complete sense. And you son of a bitch. My my original <laughs> uh, plan for Chance, and I say plan in the sense that I thought of it as I was about to start talking for him, was to give him um, Chance the rapper's verbal tick. He. <laughs> He does this thing in his songs where he goes, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> but I could not in good consciousness subject our listeners to that for an oh, extended geez. conversation. So instead I gave him the little before he started sentences. Um, I try to give everyone like an accent or like a little thing that also helps me get into character. But um, mm-hmm. Chance was a weird dude. And um, yes, if you guys had seen him earlier, I think got, maybe would have got a little bit more about 
his tieflingness, which didn't really come up. But hey, guys, tieflings are like half devil. Yep. <laughs> yep. Um. So like he was expecting you all to be racist and you weren't, uh-huh. and I didn't know how to respond to that, so he didn't know how to respond to that. It was a whole. It was a whole thing behind the scenes of everyone just being totally chill with him. <laughs> Elise's racism is very subtle for the most part. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Drop just doesn't care. Yeah. That's yeah. I mean, Drop thought they were related. I I'm changing my answer. I just remembered horse ventri- ventriloquism. <laughs> that was. <laughs> that was good. That was good. I just remembered that that was my favorite. I changed my mind. I liked when um I had him have Violet sort of realize she was never a hero. She was just a unicorn. Oh, that I think that good. was her only dramatic line in the entire uh, <laughs> thing. So uh, that that was fun. Uh, let's lightning round as many questions as possible. Let's just shout answers and see how much we can get out. All right. All right. Co- Cosmion says, is Jem still a werewivern in the post-world reset? Good question. It's deliberately ambiguous. Was there any deeper? This is also Cosmion. Was there any deeper meaning behind attaching last names to Drop and Vinny during the course of the campaign? Uh, Vinny's last name was a joke, just a goof, and Drops was picked from Twitter, so no, not thematically or anything. Uh, gosh, I wish we had more time because I wanted to talk about the themes and motifs. Like we actually had like legitimate like literary techniques, like mm-hmm. doors and portals was a strong motif throughout the series, mm-hmm. um, and like sacrifice and like duty and family, like mm-hmm. the idea of like parents and children is like a really strong like those essays to be written about there at the risk of sounding like a pedantic asshole. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh gosh, someone in the forums is named Baby Bok Choi, which is <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. You're delicious. Oh my goodness. Oh my. Basically, there's a lot here, but the idea is about the, the music, and I changed it. Was that planned? I got a couple questions about that. Uh, no, not ahead of time, but we had reached a point where the tone had shifted, and also you guys had just finished the second of four arcs. So it was exactly the halfway point, and it had suddenly gotten very dark, and I decided that Windmill Hut was no longer really appropriate. Uh, and also I really like that song from Bastion. And then later I decided to make it thematically relevant with the home sweet home line. Mm-hmm. Cause I originally remember there was no, no plans in place to go to the Feywild wild mm-hmm. until like episode like 30. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was absolutely totally uh, like spur of the moment. Um, but then I decided, Oh, like it fits perfectly with the song. So yeah, that wasn't planned at all. And also it was a very anime thing to do <laughs> to switch this, yeah, I was gonna the say. song halfway. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Um, and that's just, we, everyone brings their own flavor to it. Like in season one, Johnny was like, oh, this is a Lovecraftian noir. And then we were like, actually it's black comedy horror slapstick. And then like those things just kind of got blended. You got actually. Yeah. And in season two, I was like, oh, this is a uh, princess bride. It's swashbuckling fun. And you're like, no, I'm a depressed monk. And also I've, uh, my family died and my parents are religious nut jobs. And also I'm a disgraced unicorn. And like, you guys brought your own flavor to it. And then, so it ended up a separate thing. And so, like, it felt like I needed to honor that both, like, in my storytelling and in and things like the music. Yeah. And so, like, season three, I have, like, I'm bringing stuff to it, but you guys are also going to bring your own thing. So I have no idea how it's going to turn out. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much I want to tease, but season three is going to be very different. <laughs> it's going to be very cool. Favorite Vinny song. Someone else pointed this out after you did it. You did, uh, you used to call me on your shell phone. And someone else was like, oh, it was spell phone. Yeah, I am so mad. I know. I've been thinking about that like twice a week because it's so good. Uh, our audience is frequently much more clever than we can manage, and that would have been, ooh, chef kiss, so good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> we got one last Cosmignon question to, to play us out. Is there any deeper meaning to the Jeffs singing that nice fan song 
that is definitely not about the version of Elias who is attending the party, or was it just a nice way to incorporate one of Sam's fan songs at the very end? Does anyone remember the Lorelei we spent so long exploring? So philosophically, the question of what is real, what has been erased, like what matters, that's, you know, <laughs> that's a whole like branch of philosophy. Uh, but it's also something we've touched on before with Lavinia 1 and Lavinia 2. It's like the ship of Theseus, right? If you replace stuff, is it a new thing? And that is a question at the heart of the campaign. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that I want to answer that because I like right. there being multiple interpretations. I will say that because D&D is a, already a multiverse, like as designed, there's almost certainly worlds where things turned out differently. Like every one of those doors is potentially its own multiverse. And like Drop is definitely in some of them. He's in the afterlife in some of them. He's in the... Oh, you're such an audience pleaser. I'm saying that's the way <laughs> D Dungeons and Dragons is made. <laughs> Well, in, in my mind, uh, Violet dreams of her previous That's life. That's what I was going to say. But, but, she, but she never um, puts it together that it actually happened. So it's like Donnie Darko. <laughs> like, like, so, like, honestly, there would be, you know, the, what would be really, really, um, I wouldn't say fright, but really cliched or otherwise, I could picture Elias in his first journeys through the alternate um, Lorelei or the, the new canon Lorelei. If so, somebody mentioned the idea of there being a little tombstone for... Uh, the drop Goodwill that was never born, you know, and never grew up, and for him to sort of be like, hmm, I wonder what his, I wonder what his life would have been, and he pens a story about this character, this person who never was born, and such, you know. Also, and I've been thinking about this a lot over the last week, but I created the framing device of the Temple of Primus introducing the podcast. Mm -hmm. Like the uh, last time I dice funk, that is the Temple of Primus, which at the time was just kind of a way to reference that the god Primus was watching the events of the campaign through drop because he was lawful. And so it knew what was going on. So when you guys got mm -hmm. to it, you'd be able to talk without being like, here's what happened to us. It would just know. But given what has happened, which I had, of course, no way to know, I think it makes a ton of sense if Primus the god is aware of the other timeline because it sees all lawful beings throughout the multiverse and so the podcast itself the mp3s that you download are from primus mm. it, they're its record of this other timeline and so the the adventures happened they're real they if they wouldn't have happened the new timeline wouldn't exist at all so of course they're real and the proof is that the show exists like primus recorded it like the the legend is passed down because someone has it like, why wouldn't this become a story about, like, a group of friends who saved the world? Like, the records exist. So there's definitely more questions, and I'm sure we'll get some more, and maybe we'll answer them somewhere sometime. But we're out of time for tonight, and I just want to thank everybody for hanging out with me for the longer-than-usual recording and everyone listening and the whole season. Like, you committed to 10 months of us pretending to be elves and shit, which is really cool. <laughs> That's more than anyone should ask of anyone. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. I, 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 like, I guess I should say this. People have been asking, I am going to be taking season three off. I intend to be back season four. Yep. So, <laughs> barring some, like, weird media, meteorite hitting Dungeons and Dragons, I'll be back season four. But, um, yeah. So, but keep listening. Austin's a great DM. <laughs> Thank you. I'll miss you, Johnny. 
holy shit, one of my favorite moments was when Johnny realized Primus was actually canon in D&D and not just a really obvious dumb bad joke <laughs> I made. Because it's definitely a band. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pretty little less cute. <laughs> Too many p- 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 puppies. Uh, they're good. They're very good. Anybody else want to say anything before we leave? Uh, yeah, just I really appreciate all the fans because I was so, 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 so nervous when I started. And I'm like, I'm not that anymore. So thanks for being, like, nice. You did great. It all evens out. Thank you, Johnny and Leon. <laughs> just Johnny and Leon. <laughs> <laughs> nothing, nothing for me. I'm teasing. <laughs> I mean, I know what I did, so. And sketch two, just not Austin. Fair, fair, and accurate.
As always, I'd like to thank Overclocked Remix for our music, including Tears and Rain, an arrangement of Seattle from Deus Ex Invisible War, Dream Eater Mix, an arrangement of Lavender Town's theme from Pokemon, Ah Kid Pella, an arrangement of Setting Sail Coming Home from Bastion, and Thunderstruck, an arrangement of Windmill Hut from The Legend of Zelda. Executive producers for the month of March 2017 are Kirsten Haslinger, Extellaris, Joseph Tombrello, Andrew Grothen, Jade, The Cult of Gorfanax, Irving Royale, Finch de Jong, Arjun de Koning, Allison Ansel, Tarka, Luke Powers, Michael Goodell, Brent, Just a Jester, John Potts, Kevin Dobbins, Savarden Akramosa, Carl, Brady Warner, Kitty Foe, James Neely, Eugene T, Marissa Donaldson, Melanie Joe, Lana Seawolf, Toby Gleason Stack, Ruby Offer, Matthew Weber, Sarah Hanley, Melissa Booker, Cameron Abbas, Dylan, Gary Sayon, Anna Stuhlfar, Sean, the host of Funk Dunk, Giorgio Renna, Harrison Andrew, Kevin Zeidlow, Christopher Charlotte, Jorit, Vigor Arnston, Cody Jackson, August Rue, Athos, Ingmar Gremen, and Paul Mullen. If you want to join this list, you can support the show at patreon.com slash austinyorski, or find Leon at patreon.com slash renegadecut. You can also help the show by finding us on iTunes, Google Play, Podbean, and YouTube, and subscribing, liking, and commenting there. I'd just like to take a moment to thank everybody for your overwhelming support over this season. We literally could not do it without you, as we've suffered two computer failures over the course of just this single season. As we move into season three, with the new cast members, new player characters, and a whole new setting, I hope you'll join us there and continue to make this wild, stupid, hilarious, sad, beautiful show possible. So this is Ilium, huh? I didn't think a cursed town would look so... quaint. I guess it's a good thing, since I'm not going to be leaving here for a while. I should probably find some place to stay and start finding some leads on this mystery. Hopefully nothing weird will happen this time. I should probably also stop talking to myself. I stick out enough already.